0: Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. So I wanna do something a little bit different today. When I say the word entrepreneur, what kind of person comes to mind? Is it an athlete, an artist, a doctor, a celebrity? How many people imagined a military vet? Well, although they may not be the first people to come to mind, they possess many of the qualities to be a successful entrepreneur. They're great at building teams, they're focused, they have lots of stamina and integrity. And our first guest today, Taylor Justice, co-founder and president of Unite Us, is a perfect example of a veteran who successfully parlayed his military training and skills into creating a thriving company. And this is a big company. His tech startup, Unite Us, builds coordinated care networks of health and social service providers, and it's reached unicorn status this year and is valued at more than $1.6 billion. In today's episode, Celebrating Veterans Day, Taylor and I discuss how the pain points he experienced transitioning from active military duty to the civilian sector inspired him to co found his company. And then we're going to hear from Sam Allen, our Chief Operating Officer of Salesforce.org. He's a former Marine and he's going to talk about Salesforce's commitment to helping reskill veterans for the jobs of tomorrow. So let's jump into the conversation with Taylor Justice, co-founder and president of Unite Us. Welcome to the show, Taylor.
1: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you having me.
0: Fantastic. So, okay, well, let's just start by telling us a little bit about Unite Us and your journey to start the company and what you guys are doing.
1: So if I left Fort Benning, Georgia, and my next duty station was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. When I show up, you know, I know that I have housing, mm-hmm. that I have health care, mm-hmm. that I have all of these things taken care of uh, And because the Army and the military have figured out how to, to, to take care of their own uh, to ensure that they have all the resources that they need so they can put them back in the fight and they can perform at a really high level. Mm-hmm. When you transition out of the military, we didn't have that set up. Uh, you had some transition assistance programs. You had uh, some of those things that are that are building up, and they've gotten so much better over the years. But you still have to go out and find that new job, find healthcare, find a place to live. All of those things re-connect uh, uh, to a community that maybe you didn't come from uh, previously. That might not have been your network, and so that that transition was 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 difficult, but. You know, I think you, you look at veterans and the, the skills that they bring to the table. A lot of them are soft skills in the sense of leadership, being able to handle adversity, uh, dealing with ambiguous situations. They have some very hardcore technical training, which some people don't think it translates to the civilian uh, sector well. But I think we've done a pretty good job of explaining that those benefits but you have uh, individuals uh, that are looking to perform at a high level and they're used to that type of culture. Mm -hmm. So um, from, from our perspective, that transition uh, was difficult for folks because they've been in a system where a lot of big things have already been thought through and taken care of from a systems perspective, Mm -hmm. but now you're on your own and and you're on uh, to your own devices and a lot of people leverage other veterans and things of that nature. So Mm -hmm. when we started to see that transition and veterans making the, the, the move, the the big issue was not a single service category, a job or GI Bill or whatever. It's like navigating this maze that we now call human and social services. Uh, and what the um, uh, the Pentagon wrote a number of years back called the Sea of Goodwill, 40 plus thousand nonprofit organizations that all have the best intentions of helping veterans and military families. But how do you navigate all of them? Which ones am I eligible for? Uh, it can become an, a, a frustrating Uh, situation. Yeah. So Unitas was was founded to address some personal pain points that myself and my fellow co-founder both served uh, or both saw. We both served in the military and we jumped in to kind of solve that problem um, for uh, our veteran and military members and then quickly realized that the, the folks that were serving that population uh, weren't just veteran serving organizations. They were state and local mm-hmm. government, education institutions, healthcare institutions. Uh, and so when we expanded outside of veteran and military, uh, all we had to do was open up a couple more doors in our software mm-hmm. uh, because the commonality of all the organizations that so they had a veteran and military program. Mm-hmm. So it was like this perfect beachhead, uh, I guess to use a military term, into yeah. the greater opportunity uh, yeah. in the market. But the beauty of the veteran and military community is they don't let you blow smoke. So right. <laughs> the first product we rolled out wasn't the greatest and they let us know. So we flipped <laughs> our model and continued to refine uh, because you have standards in the military uh, and you're used to holding people to those standards. So uh, it was definitely the, the, the blessing in disguise for us uh, when we started this business of starting with that population just because you, um, uh, you hold each other to uh, a different standard than, than, than most.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, and it's interesting, you know, the the infrastructure bill just passed and now it seems like there's going to be a lot of public and private relationships that are happening that are market driven, but also Mm -hmm. government driven. Tell me about your experience in this sort of public private partnerships. Companies are having to step up so much more now and help government. You see it with SpaceX and so many different places. Tell me about that, where you see the opportunity and what that's like right now between these public and private partnerships.
1: It's critically important. Um, I think in certain sectors of the country, there's a lot of finger pointing of, all oh, this should be healthcare's issue or this should be the plan's issue or this should be state's issue or this should be this employer's issue. Well, it's everybody's issue. Mm-hmm. Everybody's dealing with that population. Uh, you're, you're providing services to the, the same population uh, and we all have a role to play. Um, but it, I think one of the things that we figured out in the early days was how do you bring all of these organizations to the table, mm-hmm. flush out all the drama, flush mm-hmm. out all the, the egos and the, and the issues and the competitiveness, but I like get down to brass tacks of like, how do I address these problems? Yeah. Um, and especially now, like the pandemic, I think taught all of us that what? we need each other. So from a public-private partnership perspective, what we realize is everybody wants the same thing. We're just looking sometimes through a different prism. Mm -hmm. How can we leverage government funding, the infrastructure bill, and and others to solve some really critical infrastructure problems? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm thinking digital infrastructure where most people go through bridges and roads and all of those. But like digital infrastructure is is critically important to all of our success. Technology is not going away. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to connect the dots between these different agencies and being able to say, okay, I should no longer just fund housing in a silo or food in a silo or my Medicaid budget in a silo. How do I connect all of these, uh, resources for that end beneficiary so that I put them on that path of Mm self-sufficiency. Um, and so what we've seen from a, from a, a public private partnership perspective is a lot of people are answering the bell, um, where uh, big healthcare organizations, uh, let's talk with systems first, that are very, very competitive, building out their healthcare networks and doing those things, mm-hmm. um, understand that they shouldn't be competing on access to community-based organizations or these resources. Mm-hmm. But what they should what they can compete on then is how, what services do they provide those patients, those members, those clients? Mm-hmm. And I think that took a little time to get over uh, over the hump, but most of the market is there now. Um, and, uh, we we were able to convene these organizations together to solve problems because not every community starts in the same spot, not every state government is at the same spot or as progressive as maybe others. Um, uh, but you know, where you start isn't necessarily where you need to finish and, and everyone can come to the table to provide their specific value to the overall change that I think all of us want to see.
0: You know, I'm curious if you've seen the uptake of services or the feelings around the, you know, using, utilizing those services from veterans change over time, or if that, if this digital transformation has, has changed, not only the, you know, technology side of it and the ability to gain access to it, but the way that it's perceived or how people yeah. may feel about that.
1: Yeah, there's, there's stigmas that I think get pushed onto the veteran military population that I think the the veteran military sector has done a very, very good job of getting, getting over. I think the first stigma that we started to see where veterans don't want to ask for help. Well, when you actually look at the data and you look at folks that come into the networks, they will ask for help. They just want to trust the resource that they're asking. And then you have like the behavioral health and mental health stigma, being able to ask for help. If you're feeling a particular way, I think all Americans are dealing with that. Uh, there was a big, obviously spotlight on veteran and military because you, you, you deal with uh, traumatic situations, but you, you can go to parts of our country right now where um, you know, a veteran in combat compared to a child that might live on the south side of uh, Chicago, I'm guessing that child probably has more trauma uh, than maybe a veteran did. And so uh, you can learn a lot from veterans uh, that then – translates into everyday citizens um, uh, across the country. And so I think a lot of it is around um, uh, breaking stigmas. And even so, in certain markets, people look at human and social services as charity. Certain governments look at human and social services as charity, and it's not. Um, It is, uh, when you think about accountability and you think about efficiency, we already have uh, these systems in place. We're a nearly $4 trillion, if we're not already over a healthcare market, Well, human and social service market is pretty close, about three and a half trillion dollars that we put into these programs. Why aren't they working together? Uh, Why aren't we uh, uh, connecting the dots on if I have someone that's on Medicaid and they don't have access to an employable wage, they should probably be on SNAP for a period of time. We have to start thinking about our system in a little bit of a different way to help people step out of these situations um, and leverage those government funds that are there for a reason. Uh, but allow us to, again, break some stigmas. And so it starts Mm -hmm. with the individual stigmas. It also starts with human and social services is is not a charity. It's taking care of our our brothers and sisters, just like we did in the military for a period Mm -hmm. of time so to make sure that we can get them back on track. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now we are finally in a position in this country where we can bring that together because the pandemic was a magnifying glass on the, the, the stress put on human and social service systems. Well, maybe we should start thinking about this in a little bit of a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, so much of what you're talking about is kind of encapsulated in this idea of social care, which in preparing for this was the first I'd really heard that term. So yeah. it would be great to get a definition around that. What, what, what is social care? What, what, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So uh, most people think of social care as social determinants of health. And if you look at like Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and how they define it, it's where you work, live, pray, eat, um, all of those factors that allow you to to live a healthy life. Mm -hmm. So when we think about social care, we're thinking about an entire ecosystem and we want to become the operating system for social care, both on from a government perspective, a health system, a health plan perspective, but more importantly, the community where they have a 21st century technology Company that's fighting for them, that is creating solutions for them, so that they can be at that same economic table as healthcare and and, and government have have been in a relationship for a while. We need to bring that 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 third um, leg of the stool in if we're actually going to start to address these issues. So so social care to us is anything that falls under human and social services, and also pulling in some of those healthcare services because they're all so intertwined. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful combination and exciting work that you guys are doing. I, I would love to talk about sort of the opportunities for veterans to within this new digital transformation that's happening and the new economy around that. And, and how you see veterans being able to take advantage of that, how companies can tap into that, that pool of folks. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a big opportunity. Like I said earlier, technology's not going away. It's gonna be in everybody's uh, world in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a couple things going back to responsibility. There's a responsibility for organizations like Unite Us, where a thousand plus uh, individuals within our firm. We have our own goals internally, where twenty percent of our workforce, we want to be veteran, military spouse, or first responder. Mm-hmm. It takes uh, effort and, and being intentional of your recruiting practices, because someone that's coming out of the infantry like I did might not have the the technical skills and software. Um, and if you looked at my resume in 2007, there's no business Taylor Justice should be in, in software. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't learn it. And so I might need it. Uh, A period of time where I get up to speed and you're starting to see that from DoD now where they're letting folks do internships prior to their their termination date from the uh, from the military, where Mm -hmm. you can then get engaged, learn, take the skill sets that you learned in the military, learn a specific functional area and then be able to transition uh, uh, more efficiently. I think it's a beautiful step that we've taken. And we have a number of different organizations like shift.org um, and others that we work with to bring that talent to the table uh, mm-hmm. that wanna have these high-tech careers. And we see ourselves as an avenue. Um, you know, When we talk about uh, the veteran and military folks that are transitioning, a big piece of people are trying to find that sense of purpose again. Right. What better place to continue to serve uh, and also be in a high tech uh, company than at a Unite Us or at a Salesforce or or mm-hmm. at a technology uh, organization that is really creating solutions that have an impact on people, right. um, and so it's a, there's a responsibility for the employer to go find those channels. Uh, DoD and others have taken some some steps to ensure that uh, they're taking care of their 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 soldiers and airmen and uh, and sailors so that they can easily transition. Uh, but for veterans that are looking for it, there are there are a lot of paths. Um, uh, and the the biggest one, however, is that that service member taking the initiative. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was transitioning out, reaching out to anybody that would pick up the phone and hear my story, I was I was just pounding the phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I I think the, the veteran shouldn't sit around and wait for necessarily someone to come find them go start knocking on some doors and yeah. you know you know what your value is and uh, just communicating it clearly.
0: Right, right. And I mean it's interesting to hear, you know, service and technology in the, in the same sense because you know so much of the news we're hearing right now is around technology that it's not really serving people or is doing the opposite. Yeah. And so right. you know, I think there's so much opportunity there to think okay. about technology in this way. I mean, what what do you think about in terms of you're on the front lines of trying to connect all these disparate systems. And, you know, on a personal level, we all face this with so many different Mm -hmm. platforms. I mean, what do you see the future looking like in terms of, you know, being in the heart of trying to make this easier and trying to connect all this stuff is what are we, is it, is it an impossible task or how is that going?
1: No, I I mean, uh, I guess what's the, what's the Muhammad Ali poster of like impossible is nothing. Um, (laughs) I, I, I truly, I truly believe that. it's only impossible until, until you do it. I think, right. um, and I think if you have a group of, of people or a population that's, that's used to kind of having their back against the wall or dealing with adversity or, you know, dealing with ambiguity, it's the veteran and military population. Uh-huh. Um, but there's two sides of it. I think most people that either buy technology or push technology frame it a little bit different. Like tech is a tool to help people perform at a higher level. Just like in the military, my rifle was not the end-all, be-all. If I had the best rifle in the world but couldn't shoot it, then I was an ineffective asset. It still requires that highly trained soldier to then uh, leverage that weapon in, in a situation where they needed to use it. Similar situation with technology. What we're trying to do is... There are very innovative organizations across the country, community-based organizations and nonprofit that are some of the most innovative organizations, but they never get the time of day. And when I say they're most innovative, because they have to do a lot with less, they might not be innovative in the sense of, oh, I have the most um, uh, awesome piece of technology of my internal operations and efficiency. They just figure things out because it's a necessity. There are people that walk into their door every single day. They figure out funding. They figure out how to to do more with the assets that they have or with the personnel that they have. They're usually underfunded, understaffed, overworked, but they figure it out. You give that organization like 21st century technology that actually works for them, they're going to do some amazing things. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're going to be in every county, every parish by the end of 2022. You told me that eight years ago, like, That sounds impossible. Yeah, but you just keep gaining ground every day, and then you build the infrastructure. Now you can do a ton of cool things on top of it. Mm-hmm. and it's going to change service delivery in this country. So I think from a mm-hmm. veteran's perspective, they're used to that. They're already in that mindset. Um, uh, they already know how to work with those type of same-minded organizations in the community. And this is, you know, technology is a is a is a mechanism to change service delivery, but it's the people that are going to do it. Um, uh-huh. and being able to, to bring them all, uh, 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 to the table, have the same vision, have the same mission and all, you know, running in the same direction is tough. Uh, but the veteran military community can do that.
0: And, you know, it seems like the framing of those conversations, I mean, what's interesting is we're talking about technology, but ultimately we're talking about relationships between individual people solving problems. Tell me a little bit about the experience of working sort of across the country with all these different groups that have, may have different perspectives
1: you have to go in and get to the root of like, what are they actually trying to address? Because, you know, when I deal with state governments or healthcare organizations, they're like pulled in a gazillion different directions and they're just looking for people to kind of help solve some of their problems. So like, I think you and I were talking beforehand, you know, when you go to a blue state and when thinking about from a government perspective, you know, leveraging yeah. government dollars, making sure that we have appropriate resource and capacity across um, uh, human and social services, it's an easier conversation because they're kind of already there wanting to leverage the, the, the spend. Red State, mm-hmm. it's the same thing, mm-hmm. but they look at it more around accountability and efficiency uh, and making sure that we're using those tax dollars in the appropriate way. But at the end of the day, they want people connected to uh, to services, and they want people to be self sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, you know, being able to frame a conversation and frame a solution that um, on the outside might look like, oh, they are opposing views, if they're not. They just kind of take a different path of getting there. Uh, I think we, as a country talk past each other a lot because we're in this mindset of like, Oh, I'm going to be right. My position is the only position and I'm going to show you, I'm going to debunk everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not reality. And so, right. uh, there's a lot of compromise that, that has to happen. And most of these organizations are willing to talk, but you got to be willing to listen
0: to. Right. Well, there's nothing like, uh, facts and, and data to, <laughs> to help with that. Whatever side of that argument you may be on, um, and, you know, I had a question about um, sort of where you see technology being able to break some of these barriers in healthcare. It's such a huge part of our spend. Mm-hmm. It's what you're working on right now. But where do you see that in terms of what? how, how, how should we be thinking about that?
1: Um, I think a lot of it starts with standards um, around interoperability. Mm-hmm. I think... You, when you look at historic EMRs uh, systems, and I think part of it is like when they started, like electronic health records, and you know had to have all the servers on prem, and you had to, you know you had different instances, and you had uh, uh, things of that nature. Maybe the technology just wasn't there yet. So then you saw states incorporate health information exchanges so all those health systems could communicate to each other. Well, technology mm-hmm. has advanced significantly mm-hmm. where um, you now have the ability for multiple pieces to all work together, but there needs to be standards on how you uh, exchange that type of information. So I think how technology can solve problems, um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple things that have to happen. One, organizations need to figure out Um, how they can better work together and how that creates a force multiplier rather than, oh, I'm going to lose some market share here or there. Uh, We all have particular lanes that we can play in. Um, and that gets tough, obviously, in a, in a competitive in, in environment. But when you have those standards of how you both send and receive information between existing systems, it, there's not a ton of standards uh, in, the, in the social care space yet. So there's, there's a, a responsibility on tech companies like Salesforce and Unite Us and, and others to come together and really solve some of those problems. The next piece is like a lot of folks don't get to the root cause of what's, hap- like what's going on in a community and really map out and operationalize it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I need to have this, I need to have this, I need to have this. And before you know it, you have six or seven different systems that don't communicate to each other. Now you've created like this operational nightmare for the people that have to leverage it every single day. Um, And I think uh, really mapping out um, who are my partners, what technologies are they using? uh, How do Mm -hmm. I uh, uh, um, uh, make sure that once someone's plugged into that network, it works for them? I think is, mm-hmm. is critically important. And finally, it comes down to the consumer. You know, mm-hmm. you know when you look at uh, enterprise software or especially our landscape, we started off just focused on the veteran military, kind of a consumer facing experience and realized that the supply chain of all these organizations was, was so jacked up that if I plug a veteran into that, it's not going to work for them. But now we're at a point where you have the infrastructure, I have the supply chain, I know how long it should take to receive housing or food or transportation or these other things. Now that consumer experience needs to mirror how people are leveraging social media and some of these other tools that are very, very intuitive and easy to use. But you have to put the power back into the individual that is receiving that care, where maybe they don't want certain pieces of information shared. You should give them the opportunity to wall that off if they want to. And so from a technology perspective, the consumer needs to be at the forefront of all of our minds of if I'm building a system or whatever, how is it going to be easiest for them to connect to that service? And I think there are certain governments that are trying to get there. That's a big component. And I think we can help be a solution to that. Um, but you know, technology is only as good as how it's deployed, how it's built, and how it actually solves a problem. Yeah. um uh, for whoever's uh, trying to access that that service or care.
0: Yeah, you've got to have the back-end system that's got the right information and then be able to present it in the in the right way to the user. So yeah, right. we say uh, connect to your customer in a whole new way is what Salesforce is all about. So <laughs> yeah, we're kind that's, of solving I mean, the same problem. it's
1: right. It's right. Yeah. Like think yeah. about it from a government <laughs> like, you know, connecting with your constituents in a completely different way. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. There's just some hard decisions need to be made to get there.
0: Well, that's what's interesting because the technology is doable, uh, and and we all know that it takes some time. But it's the the people and the relationships and and just that hard work that needs to be done there. So that's right. Uh, it's great that you guys are doing it. Okay. So last question is: if you had a message for companies out there about hiring vets and what we can do to help that, what the value is, what would you say about that?
1: Listen, I, I when I um, look at the 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 veteran and military folks that we've hired on here or the or the military spouses because i think they should be included into that conversation as well um Mm -hmm. um the the ability to deal with ambiguity we all live in a world where things are changing quickly yeah and the military teaches you no decision is the bad decision like you're not going to get somebody that's going to kind of sit back someone's going to shoot it to you straight be able to know what a plan looks like know how to execute against that plan Uh, Mm -hmm. And also not that day one, they need to be in a leadership position, but they've seen and been classically trained for lack of a better term in leadership, like managing other humans is a very, very difficult um, uh, uh, responsibility that if you don't have experience in it or haven't seen a path of, of, of how to do it the appropriate way, sometimes you run into challenges. And yeah. f- so from a, from a veteran and military perspective, like you get the, all the cliche things that I'm now giving you now around leadership and discipline yeah. and all that, but they're true. Like yeah. at the end of the day, when you look at a veteran and their ability to come in, that's going to have loyalty to your organization because you took a shot on them. As long mm-hmm. as you train them up on that particular discipline, they're going to give you all those soft skills that you're mm-hmm. going to need to build a workforce that is going to be able to you know, run through walls for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it takes a little bit of like, we talk about public private pr- partnerships and compromise, um, you know, their, their set or what they were taught in the military sometimes might not translate in your head to what it is. And there's a responsibility on both sides to make sure that we get there, but you're getting an individual that understands, um, how to execute, understands how to put a plan together and understands how to build teams. Because the military is all about teamwork and making sure that it's like, I know my lane. Uh, I can go uh, do this as long as I have my partner to the right and the left that can, that can execute uh, along with me. You're going to create very dynamic and strong teams because they've just been in that environment. Um, which I think is like an under, uh, undervalued skill because when you look at resume, it's like, okay, I need somebody that can do this technical thing, this technical thing, this technical thing. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of folks that can be taught that. But if that person's a bad culture fit or, you know, you know, talks down to teammates or whatever, you're going to create an environment where the whole team is, you know, just ineffective. Uh, And and being able to to, to train someone on what you want them to do, because you're going to have to do it anyway. Like Mm -hmm. if some other technology uh, individual comes to Salesforce, you're going to have to teach them the Salesforce way. You're not going to take somebody that's what made Salesforce great. uh, So you're still going to have to teach them that skill set. Why don't you just like sure up to ensure that it's like you have all the other like soft components where I'm going to get a good teammate or a, a mm-hmm. loyal participant and someone mm-hmm. that can then grow into a leadership position because they've been classically trained. Um, right, That's a win for everybody.
0: I mean, they say, you know, I've heard the phrase that, you know, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And, right. you know, and, and when you think about the so many companies, and this is just part of the challenge is that put people in management positions who really have no training. And as soon as right. you get there, I think you realize it if you've ever been in that position, which many listeners probably have, of all of a sudden you're managing people and you you have no idea how to do this. So when <laughs> you think about uh, all the training that goes into to that in the military, yeah, that's that's gold, you know?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, so if uh, if folks want to get more involved with Unite Us and, and learn more, where should they go?
1: So I would send them to uniteus.com. Um, uh, All of our networks across the country uh, are are, uh, focused on supporting local communities. And so um, on on UniteUs.com, you can see our Unite Virginia network, our Unite Georgia network and and others and how you can get involved locally for, you know, either a community that you currently live in or a community that you came from uh, that you have a particular affinity for. uh, And we'll connect you to the appropriate organizations um, if if you want to contribute or get involved.
0: Okay, great. Taylor, thanks again for joining us. Great conversation.
1: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it.
0: That was Taylor Justice, co-founder and president of Unite Us. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Sam Allen, our COO of Salesforce.org, who shares with us why he thinks hiring military veterans is just good business. Sam, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Michael, for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you during Veterans Week.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, let's start at a high level and just tell us a little bit more about salesforce.org. What's it all about? What do you guys do?
2: Yeah, salesforce.org has got an interesting past. So when Mark Benioff started the company, he actually started a foundation at the exact same time, you know, as a separate legal entity. And, you know, he really has been a believer since day one, which was now 22 years ago about business as a platform for change. And he wanted to literally put his money where his mouth was. And so he started a foundation that took, at the time, 1% of his time, 1% of his money, and 1% of his equity. So for most of its history, .org was a separate you know, um, nonprofit foundation. And now it is an uh, operating division within Salesforce.com, still focused on the nonprofit and education sectors, mm-hmm. still selling at a material discount to what you would get normally on the .com price list and really is this central beating heart of business as a platform for change and we like to call ourselves the impact vertical of salesforce mm-hmm. um, and it's been an amazing organization and this year we were targeting donating 1.8 billion with a b uh, in products and services back out into our local communities globally
0: And, you know, one of the groups that you've been working closely with over time is military and military vets specifically. Tell me a little bit more about the relationship between Salesforce and military vets.
2: Yeah, this is a place that's special to me um, and a cause that's really close to me. I spent 12 plus years in the United States Marine Corps. So when I came to Salesforce, I was pleasantly surprised to see this thing called VetForce. And uh, vet force at the time was really an internally focused employee resource group for veterans and, and veteran allies to, you know, just be supportive, be there, be there to be supportive. What we actually quickly rotated to was uh, uh, this opportunity to train veterans who are an amazing workforce on the mm-hmm. Salesforce platform. Uh, going all the way back when I got here seven and a half years ago, all the way up to today there is a massive delta between the number of Salesforce administrative professionals that are needed and the ones that actually exist. Yeah. And so Mark Benioff, who's incredibly present, thought, wow, what a great workforce for us to actually mold into Salesforce administrators. Mm-hmm. And so there was someone, I can't remember who it was, pitched to him the idea of educating and training veterans for free on our platform. And Mark said, well, how many should we target? And I think the reaction was one to 3,000, something like that. And in classic Benioff fashion, he said, no, we're going (laughs) to do 10,000. So the initial target was to train 10,000 veterans and veteran spouses for free on the Salesforce platform to get the administration administrator certificate. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we've grown that number to 40,000, which is our target. Um, And, you know, a lot of this actually came from. If people people don't know this, General Colin Powell was uh, on the Salesforce board and was someone that Mark very much looked up to. Obviously, General Powell passed away recently and Mark redoubled his efforts on, you know, focusing on veterans. And so it's always been a program that not only is an internally focused resource group that is global. But it is also this amazing platform that we are training veterans to become Salesforce administer certified Mm -hmm. and have access to an amazing entry level technology job that they probably wouldn't have otherwise.
0: You know, and I know that reskilling and education is such a big part of VetForce and the relationship between Salesforce and veterans, but also with Salesforce.org serving the larger educational community so much. What do you see there in terms of the changes that are happening in education right now and technology? There's so much happening in that
2: field. Well, I mean, I, so first of all, I've got two high school kids. And so what I've seen them go through in the last 18, two months, 24 months with COVID and how that entire world has changed in, in, you know, K through 12 has been pretty tremendous. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I have, you know, friends who have college age students. So just that entire World is getting flipped upside down. Then you have this other access of there's a lot of conversation and Salesforce is part of it that why do you need a four-year education to have a technology career? You mm-hmm. don't. Uh, mm-hmm. You can go get Salesforce or you know, there's every major technology company has certification programs. You can go get certified on Cisco, right? Mm-hmm. And you can be a 20 year old person who really likes technology, who go get certified at Salesforce or Cisco, and then has a job paying 80, 90, $100,000, depending on your location, mm-hmm. while your friends are, at, you know, some of your friends might be at college and getting degrees that, frankly, at the end of the day, don't help them much. Mm-hmm. And so that whole idea of driving to results. Is, is flipping the education world on its head, and COVID just accelerated all that. The flip side of all that is we realize that a person standing in a lectern with, with 100 bodies in a classroom uh, is not the most productive way to teach either. And I think a lot of universities are currently struggling with, well, what does this mean for the future? Because now we have an entire you know, I don't know if generation's the right word, we've got a huge cohort of people that now want to learn differently and they want to have multiple ways of learning. And one of them might be the classroom, but one of them might be to go log in asynchronously under a platform, consume the content at their own pace, and in a, in a in a directed way that gets them to where they want to go faster than having to sit through an entire four-year program. So I think there will always be a place for educational institutions. Absolutely. They will continue to grow and serve a huge need in our communities. Um, but it is kind of a wake-up call that things are changing and shifting. And as a technologist, it's important for us to be there to not only provide solutions to help accelerate that change, but to also help people understand it.
0: Uh-huh. And so, do you think this change is going to accelerate the relationship between technology and military vets, being able to access education more easily and more fluidly?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that with our Salesforce Military program, and there are lots of other you know organizations that you know Accenture has a great example program for for uh, transitioning veterans. You know, to me, it just becomes less of are the opportunities there and more of how do we get the word out? Yeah. And so it becomes a marketing challenge more than anything else. The, the Trailhead mm-hmm. platform that we've we've created that we leverage for the Salesforce certification is incredibly easy to use and a compelling platform for lots of other education just besides Salesforce administrative certifications. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't know about it. And, you know, it's up now, it's up to us as institutions to drive, you know, some awareness around that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the backside of this is how do people get hired? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a cohort of, I think about 500 corporations that we work with, who once a person becomes a Salesforce administrator certified, you know, we can put them into that database, so to speak, but there are tens of thousands of companies using Salesforce. And so how do we Mm -hmm. get that out there? And I, I hate to be in a world where, we do all this amazing, great work up front. And then you have a bunch of people coming through the system and then don't have a job on the back end because that connective tissue isn't there. So I think there's still opportunities for growth yeah. um, in this, but, you know, I, I'm pretty hopeful that our ability to leverage the technology as a platform to get veterans um, educated and certified on these technologies uh, will just continue to scale.
0: And so what would you suggest for companies who want to invest more in relationship with veterans and I meal? You know, Take advantage of, the, of of that workforce.
2: Well, first and foremost, their leadership has to be on board with it. This can't just be a hey, oh, it's Veterans Week. You know, we should do more, and you throw some PR blog post out there, uh, okay. and then move on about your daily business. You've got to invest in it like you do anything else. Um, yeah. It is an important cohort of this country that we need to continue to invest in. So, my first piece of advice is. You know, you need to have an executive sponsor, someone who sits on the executive team of a company who has a passion around this subject. Mm-hmm. Because you have to You have to then define, you know, things like investment and headcount and all that. And without someone very senior taking that on, um, you know, it's going to be an uphill slog. So someone mm-hmm. on the executive team. And it, you know, We had the advantage of it being Mark Benioff, so it was a lot easier for Salesforce. But, you know, Keith Block, who was here for a while... He was passionate about it and, you know, um, uh, I and some other senior leaders are are very passionate about it still. So it's got a great beating heart here at Salesforce. But number one is getting an executive um, to uh, sponsor it. I think number two would then be to reach out and create your own uh, resource group out of your employees and even some partners and constituents who Mm -hmm. really understand what veterans are facing um, and then create that allyship. So that it's not just you don't just have to be a veteran to be, you know, in the in the the veteran resource group. Our 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 organization internally, Vet Force, uh, has lots of folks who are in our um, program who aren't veterans, but just because they believe in the allyship. In the same way that I'm a white male, but I'm part of Bold Force, which is uh, focused on African American, uh, you know, uh, issues here at Salesforce, and so. I think that's super important. So having that that cohort of people who wake up every day thinking, okay, now I've got executive sponsorship. Now I got people that are really thinking about how to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's important to them from a mission. And then I guess the third leg of that stool would be, what are you actually going to do about it? You know, mm-hmm. are you going to create training programs like Salesforce did? Are you going to create bespoke hiring programs. There are a lot of corporations. Home Depot is a great one. They literally go to Military bases and talk to transitioning vets, and they actually have job fairs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is it you're actually going to do tactically? So you can talk about it from a thematic perspective, but you've got to say, okay, where's the where's the proof in the pudding? And at Salesforce, it's about our Salesforce military training program, but it you know what is it for you as a, a other company that you're gonna actually put actions towards?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also that marketing or education component around the value of this workforce, you know, you can have someone who's a 27-year-old captain who's managing 100 people responsible for $50 million of equipment in this high-pressure situation. That kind of experience is invaluable. And I think a lot of folks just might not be thinking about it that way.
2: Yeah. What I what I always tell folks if they, have, if they do reach out to me, I have a, a friend of mine who uh, is the He's at a startup and he wants to hire, he has to build a sales team. He wants to build it out of veterans and underrepresented minorities, which is a great objective. Yeah. And he asked me on the veteran side and I said, well, the one thing to keep in mind is you have to be open to teaching them the mechanics of the job, Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't have to teach them about leadership and integrity and work ethic and all that type of thing. And those soft skills are the ones that are really hard to learn and they usually have those to a great level of depth because of the situations they've been in.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, this is great, Sam. I really appreciate the conversation and happy Veterans Day. And thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, Michael, thanks for having me.
0: That was Sam Allen, COO of Salesforce.org. And earlier we heard from Taylor Justice, co-founder and president of Unite Us. If you want to find out more about Unite Us and the great work that they're doing, just go to uniteus.com. Thanks for listening today. And if you like this episode of Blazing Trails, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios.